You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, as I stand before you with such a weighty task as the proclamation of the gospel, that it's right for me to come with fear and trembling. But Lord, we thank you that your gospel is the very power of God. And so, Lord, we pray that this day we might put forth Jesus Christ and him crucified and he alone. In his name we pray. Amen. St. Paul continues his letter to the Corinthians really in the same vein of hammering away at the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is ultimately summed up in Jesus Christ and him crucified, Jesus upon the cross. But now he enters into a conversation of what the role of the preacher is, or even more generally, what is the role of the church? Because even in Paul's day, especially in the Mediterranean world, specifically in Greece, there was a great tradition of philosophy that sought to answer the question, what is wrong with the world and how is it to be fixed? And not just that, but what's wrong with me and how is it that I get fixed? And some of the great thinkers of the world that we still think about today that even predate Paul, people like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, uh, even our notion of what it means to be a city-state, democracy was coined by what is probably, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, the greatest intellectual nation that the world has ever seen. And that's where Paul is. Here in this church of Corinth, where he spends, by his standards, a lengthy pastorate. And he addresses this question, or rather these questions of what is wrong with the world and how is it to be fixed and what is wrong with us and how are we to be fixed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says that the answer to the problem is this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Full stop. There's an intention there, isn't there? I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's no wonder that he came with much fear and uh, weakness and much trembling. And he worried about his speech and message, not implausible words of wisdom. Because the testimony of Paul heretofore is he'd been in Asia and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit shut it down. They weren't able to do much of anything there. And Paul dreams one night of a man in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and says, come to us. And so Paul goes to Greece. But even when he arrives in Greece, his ministry really, really isn't marked by much success. He seems to make inroads in Thessalonica, and, but then he gets driven out of town, and he goes to Berea, and the Thessalonians show up there and drive him out of town, and then he goes to Athens itself, and he preaches there in the Areopagus. And he, he begins to bring in Greek phrases and, and, and Greek uh, ways of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love how Acts says that... And a few people believed. And in fact, people there in the Areopagus said, let's hear what this babbler has to say. And he leaves there, Macedonia, and goes down to the southern part of Greece and finds himself here in Corinth. And he says, 
I'm not going to preach anything except Christ and Him crucified. Now, it's not as if Paul thought he had a different message to preach. But he wanted that to be front and center because he wanted the preaching to be in demonstration of the Spirit and of power and not of his own skills. Let's not look at this and think that Paul is saying, I'm not a good preacher, I'm not a good leader, because in fact he was. But what he wanted his ministry to be marked out by was the glory of God, which is supremely manifested in the cross of Christ. Very much echoing what John the Baptist would say, I've got to decrease and you've got to increase. So when I preach, I don't want people walking away saying, man, that was a great sermon by Paul. He wanted you walking away saying, what a great Savior. And so Paul says, I'm only going to preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what I've decided to know amongst you. So what is he reacting to? Well, I've alluded to some of it already. He's reacting to the Greek culture which places a high value on rhetoric. Uh, there was a way that you communicated in Greece. Uh, so much so that the Greeks loved it and because they didn't have the internet or Netflix or TV or the radio, this was the social event uh, of the community. You would grow, go out and hear these great orators giving these great speeches talking about philosophy, which is the study of life. And these great philosophers started their own academies and people would go to them and they would learn from them and they themselves would become disciples of this wisdom that was being imparted to them by the philosophers. And Paul said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to appropriate uh, the, the nuances and the skills and uh, the rhetoric of the Greek philosophers. I'm simply going to pour out the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit do his work. It's not a philosophy. And yet the propensity of the church today is to do the same thing. I, I get pressure fairly often to preach philosophy. And normally, that's, Andrew, you need to engage more clearly and actively the issues that are plaguing the world today. Whether that be politics, whether that be the environment, whether that be, you need to preach a sermon. I've, you know, it's funny, people are like, you need to preach a sermon on how to be a better husband. No one's ever come up to me and said, you need to preach a sermon on how to be a better wife. Ladies, I guess you got it figured out. But, but you see what I'm saying. These are the types of things that, that people want us to preach on. And in fact, uh, I received an email last week that said this. I send you these quotes as a response, and I'm not going to get into the quotes, as a response to the sermon delivered by one of the preachers at the Advent in which they stress the sufficiency of Jesus for our salvation, a theme they reiterated many times in which they essentially referred to one's personal salvation in that, quote, Jesus was sufficient as a sacrifice for our sins, close quote. All too familiar is such a salvation message and frequently repeated. Is this the end of the message regarding the person of Jesus? Is salvation all that his life and subsequent death means to the church? And they continue, the world that is hurting so terrifically and this world that is being destroyed by consumerism, waste, 
relentless use of fossil fuels is in need of salvation. So what is the message of the church to be? What is the message of the Advent to be? Just one of salvation that serves primarily to maintain the status quo and to maintain the affluent at the expense of the poor and the marginalized? Or is the Advent in particular and Christianity in general committed as Jesus was to a call of extremism of changing our society for the betterment and inclusion of the less fortunate, marginalized, and often despised? Where is this admonition in the sermon? Where is the content in the sermon that refers to the first and greatest commandment that one should love one's neighbor as oneself? Now suspend the fact that that's not the first and great commandment. It's to love God with everything you have. When and how can the Advent do more to take, make this a reality by addressing real concerns of a fractured and hurting world with an admonition that we all should be involved in making a change so that we are co-creators of a better and more inclusive Birmingham in the world? Now, I'm not saying it to make fun of this dear lady because she's asking the right questions. What's the message that we preach to the hurt and broken world? How does it get fixed? But her answer is philosophy. Recycle. Try harder. And this was the pressure that Paul was experiencing in his day. He was experiencing it from the Greeks, but he was also experiencing it from the Jews who wanted miracles, who wanted a preaching of the law. And he avoided that. He said, look, even as Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, <clears throat> where he talks about Lazarus dying and the rich man going to hell, and the rich man says, send Lazarus, Father Abraham, to preach to my brothers so that they might avoid the same fate that I have met. And Abraham says, there's such a great chasm that he can't even get to you. And even if I did send him, your brothers aren't going to listen because they're not even going to listen to Moses and the prophets. Miracles aren't going to persuade people. Only the preached Christ and him crucified. Now this doesn't mean that Paul and his ministry never said anything about Jesus as the teacher or Jesus as an example, whether that be in his living or even in his dying. But, but Paul says, but no, the whole Christ is summed up in the crucified Christ. Jesus' perfect life is not going to save us. Jesus as your life coach is not going to save you. And that's why Paul decided to know nothing amongst the Corinthians except Jesus and him crucified. So we've talked about the negative side of the message. What's the positive? What exactly was Paul preaching? Well, what Paul was preaching in Jesus and him crucified was the reconciliation of a sinful and broken world to a holy and loving God in the person of Jesus Christ. So when Paul talks about this too, because you see the message to the Corinthians was not one message and everybody else got a different message, but he says this in Romans when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, The answer to the problem in Rome, and and you can go through Romans chapter 1, and there's a whole litany of how the world has gone wrong, which is actually a litany that that most of us would readily uh, identify with. In fact, this, this person that wrote the email, they would identify with a letter too that the world has gone way wrong. And yet, what is the answer? Do we just pile it on and say, man, y'all got to try harder. Y'all really got to get your act together. You, you, y'all are real messed up. No, the answer is Christ and him crucified. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that Christ came into the world to save sinners and reconciling us to this God. Because he continues in verse 18 to say, For the wrath wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That what we see around us, and maybe one of the most terrifying ways in which God's wrath is manifested, is that he gives us over to ourselves. If that's what you want, you ought to be able to have it. I tell my kids that all the time. If that's what you want, you ought to be able to have it. And they rightfully look at me like I'm crazy. Because it's a fearsome thing to actually be given over to yourself. And yet Jesus himself stands between the wrath of God and those of us who have caused the problem. And that's the beauty of the biblical narrative. Like in Noah's Ark... After the floodwaters began to subside and God made a covenant with Noah to never flood the earth again, he put an image in the sky to remind Noah and us of God's covenant promise. And what is that image? Anybody? The rainbow. Now we all see it and we we think, oh, who stole me Lucky Charms? And, you know, we have all these kind of concepts and images about it. Uh, But there would have been no mistaking how Noah in his day had seen it. Because a bow in Noah's day is what? An instrument of war, an instrument of death. And where with the flood it was aimed squarely at earth, now where is the battle bow aimed? at God himself. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God that he made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It's a remarkable thing, and Paul preaches it because it is the only power that you and I can experience that will save us. Nothing else will save us, and Paul says that this faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, but in the power of God. Because the Corinthians knew this was true in their own lives. Uh, They had heard the philosophers They had heard the preaching of the law. They had seen even miracles. And yet they saw their lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ in that alone. God's power was made manifest in them through the simple preaching of a simple preacher. 
and no other reason. But here they had begun to lose sight of that and began to seek out the wisdom of the world once again. But Paul says God's not having it. Because if we don't preach Christ and Him crucified and is the only way that we might be reconciled to God and the only way by which you and I might be fixed and the only way in which this world might be fixed, do you know what that means? That means that we're robbing God of His glory. We're actually saying the cross is great, but it's not enough. And Paul says, Forbid it, Lord, that we should boast in anything except the cross of Christ. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because he's all that we have. And so there's a temptation in the life of the church to get blown off course even by the best of things. And yet Paul gives us our marching orders here. Even in the midst of one of the most sophisticated cultures in the history of the world, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because in that is the demonstration of the spirit and of power that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the very power of God. Do you want to see your life transformed? Do you want to see the world around you transformed? A hearty amen is what I say to that. But the only way that we see that is to come to the foot of the cross And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in him we find our redemption. Because when Paul talks about Christ and him crucified, he's not simply talking about the moment of the crucifixion. He's talking about all the benefits and all the blessings that are from Christ and in Christ are available to you right now. It's amazing to me that if you took all of Paul's writings, and in fact all the, writing, all the epistles, and you, put them into a, you could put them into a book, it would be a little book that you could read an entire afternoon. And do you know what little phrase is used to describe peoples who follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? More often than any other phrase in the New Testament. It's not Christian. Christian is sort of said in a derogatory, spitting kind of way. Christian. But the phrase that's used well over a hundred times to describe believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are people who are in Christ. So the question is not are you a Christian, but are you in Christ? And what that means when we enter into a relationship with him, into this crucified and risen Lord, all of the blessings of Christ are for you. You enjoy that. It's not something that's far off, but you begin to see the transformation as God's Spirit begins to dwell within you. And as a result of that, like the apostles and like the Christians of old, they begin to make a difference in the society around them. But they never lose sight of Christ and Him crucified. And when they do, like Paul, we're always to be pulled back to Calvary. Because only there, and singularly there, do we see God's glory and power supremely manifested. And so, brothers and sisters, here at the Advent, I pray that we would know nothing amongst ourselves except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let us pray.
Oh, Lord, we do come to you with trembling and fear, knowing that we don't have it in and of ourselves to get our act together or even to speak the truth to the world around us apart from you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we pray that we would cling to your cross and your cross alone as the answer to the problem for this broken and fallen world and the answer to our broken and fallen lives. For only in you and you alone do we find salvation and healing for the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.